The growing reliance on technology and science has caused many to elevate statistics and figures on the almighty altar of facts. Consequently, many have lost touch with wisdom and insights known by the ancients. As one digs deeper into the nature of life and existence, many things must be felt to be understood. As a lifelong empath, today's guest has felt these subtle energies for decades. As a fully licensed massage therapist and student of many modalities, including trigger point therapy, myofascial release therapy, acupressure, and more, she has dedicated herself to leveraging the receptivity and awareness to help empower and heal others through the incredible gift of touch. Haley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What an intro. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So as you may know, when we have guests on, we'd like to pop around with a couple of uh, goofy questions. So the first one for you, growing up, what was your favorite Nickelodeon cartoon? I didn't watch a lot of Nickelodeon. That's why I knew it would be tougher than Disney. Disney. Do what? I knew it would be a tougher question than Disney. Oh. Um, what was the one with the guy, the like big headed, like, um, hey, Arnold? Science. Uh, Jimmy Neutron. No. Yes, Jimmy Neutron. Yes. That was probably what I watched the most. That was a good one. Did you see the movie in theaters when it came out? No. I didn't know. Thrived in your childhood. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. The most foul smell that you've ever smelled and describe it in three words. In a massage or just in, in life. general? <laughs> in life. Most foul smell. Uh, <laughs> um. Still, uh, wet <laughs> and um, expired. There it is. Three words. There it is. <laughs> okay, cool. So thank you for uh, indulging us there for a second. Now, some people, you know, I think it'll just help set the stage before we move into it deeper. But some people may, they may have heard the term empath before. Maybe they have not empath. Um, but if you could, for a second, if you could describe in your eyes what that term means and, and how you recognized that, that you were uh, an empath yourself as you were growing up. Hmm. Um, so I guess I haven't really identified with the term as much as I have in the last few years as far as uh, an identity for myself in a way. But um, I guess an empath is just someone who feels things very deeply and is very um, aware of what, not only my own emotions and my own feelings in my body and my mind, but also others around me. And, um, you know, the older I've gotten, the more that I've noticed how perceptive and susceptive I am to um, other people's everything. And so I think we all have empathetic qualities, um, some more than others, but I think from a young age, I was very, I don't want to use emotional in a bad way, but just, um, I definitely cried a lot in different ways that I didn't know, you know, sometimes I didn't know why I was crying. I just was feeling, you know, a lot. And over time, I guess it's been interesting to study empaths and people who are, you know, extra perceptive to all of that. And, you know, with my practice, 
it's really good for me to be able to know what is mine and what is other people's and kind of distinguishing between the two, because I think we all pick up on everything in our environment on many levels. And, um, you know, it can, if you're not able to really differentiate, then when it comes to healing, when it comes to you know, figuring out what it is you're experiencing in your daily life, um, how you take responsibility for what's yours, and then how you pick up on you know, just the heaviness or the intensity of others and how that can affect um, your own reactions, your own interactions. And um, but um, yeah, so I guess know my own emotional experiences and depth has really been a huge part of my massage practice and um, and being able to meet people where they're at, um, not just physically, but emotionally and, you know, just kind of everything else that goes on day to day. Phenomenal, phenomenal recap there. You, you spoke about being able to gauge what's yours versus what's somebody else's. Could you describe in a little more detail how somebody could could maybe notice or start to get a gauge? Because I have my own, you know, for instance, there'd be times when I would go to see my mom, you know, and her husband. And at the time, my mom, she was really, her skin was very sensitive to light. So they would have drawn the, the blinds drawn and it might be two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And so it created a very dark space in the house. Uh, and anytime I would go at that kind of time, I would feel brought down a little bit uh, by just the energy of that room in the house. It wasn't necessarily my mom or you know her husband, but just kind of that space. Is that something that that, that people could notice, or do you have other uh, a way people can kind of gauge for themselves that they might be picking up on somebody else's energy more than what might be their own? Um. So I did struggle with this for a while, like when I was really getting into different. Um, parts of my practice, but something that uh, was said at the seminars that I was at earlier this year really resonated with me me, and it kind of helped me take responsibility for what was mine first. And so they had said something along the lines of if something else strong enough in someone else is, is intense enough to trigger a response in you, that shows you where you need to heal yourself or where you have work to do on your, your, yourself. So for instance, if I am around my family or someone who's being really negative and it's really, really bothering me that they're being super negative, like there's something in me that's negative that I haven't dealt with or that I'm not okay with, that I have this extra negativity. So the excess negativity around me is going to affect me more than if I've dealt with my own negativity and I can kind of separate from, okay, like I'm not the one that's dealing with the negativity necessarily right this moment, but I'm noticing that there's a lot of that. And the more that I've dealt with my own negativity, the more um, I can see that as theirs and not take it on as something that really needs to bother or concern me because it's not. Um, Yeah, I just think it's really hard to put into words the things that I experienced sometimes in sessions, but um, over time I felt like I didn't pick up as much transfer of negative energy if I had dealt with my own stuff, if that makes sense. That's a very broad term, but um, the more self-aware I was and the more I had done my own healing, the less 
others' unhealed wounds or emotions that I could feel would negatively affect me versus me being able to see it, feel it, and then, you know, go forward like that. Um, Yeah. So pulling on that a little bit, if, if you have noticed that, um, that you're very affected by, or you're at least very aware, you, you acknowledge that you're very aware of the energies that are around you. How do you then make sure that even if you've um, even if you've done the work, the self-work or work with, with another practitioner to heal yourself, how do you not get overwhelmed or overburdened? Even if you recognize that someone else's pain is not necessarily yours, because isn't there something to be said for if you're engulfed in it, there's only really so much you can do because you, you got to step away. You got to detach. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point. Um... And it's definitely taken a lot of different kinds of protective practices or things that I have gotten better with over time and can hope that I will get better with um, in the future. But I think recognizing I used to be so, you know, if I didn't, I don't want to say fix or heal someone's problem, all this, something that could, they could have been dealing with for 20 years in one session, then there's something wrong with me. Whereas the more I really learned about people's ability to heal their receptivity to, to the work, um, that allowed me to step back and kind of, kind of like, I guess a lot of, um, psychologists have to really be taught to not take their work home with them or else. I mean, I, I just don't know how you wouldn't get completely overwhelmed hearing people, you know, if they're suicidal all day and how do you not just go home and just feel so sad and take all that on. Um, so there is a way that you have to kind of detach, but not in a, um, hard way of, um, I don't know, I guess just if I, if I've done my work and I do the best job I can to help someone, um, I have to also remind myself that, you know, they can only really just like anything else in life, someone can only meet you as deeply as they've met themselves. So, um, I don't know. I think just the more that I've learned about that, it allows me to not get as attached to some outcome or some result and then, you know, take on someone else's stuff as mine, because I think that can also get into where people are addicted to their pain or addicted to the drama and the stories of their lives and, and stress and and all of that. And I, I've been there before and and we all get that way sometimes, but I just know that if I do that, then I will not be at the level of healing or help to then help all the people that I want to help. And so, um, so conceptually then you're, you're able to kind of broad stroke it and, and step out, detach from that emotion, or do you have a checklist of things that are actionable that when you, when you're overwhelmed with a, a patient, um, or a client or, or what have you that you run through before you, you come back into the home, before you come back to your partner, before you interact with another person outside of that, is it an actionable steps or is it kind of, Hey, this can be. It can be kind of broad stroked for my life. Um, I guess a little bit of both. It's, it depends on the situation. Like some, I notice some people really can affect me more than and others. I can feel that there's a lot there, but I just don't take it on as much. And I think that goes back to whatever they were really trying to say in the seminars of if it's something that hits home with me is probably going to be a lot more intense than something that's not. 
um, or if it's someone that's in my family, it, that sometimes I really do have to walk away a little bit more because I want to help that much more. And it hurts me to see someone not helping themselves if they're related to me or you know, I have a deeper tie connection to them or I've been working with them longer and I want to see them progressing, whatever, something like that. But yeah, there's also actionable physical things that I do um, to kind of one, clear myself and protect myself before and after so that I'm not taking it home, taking it into my next daily thing. Um, Details. So with, with that side of it, yeah, just do you have some some concrete things? Because I think this is something that, that could help a lot of people because, you know, people in their workplace um, or just cohabitating with people just if they've never really thought about the fact that they can do physical things or something they can put a structure or routine to that could help them kind of shed some of that heaviness or some of that, you know, stuff that's not theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess because I have so many different tools mm -hmm. that I, over time I picked up on, or I have, because I do this kind of work, a lot of self work techniques I do constantly just because I, if I feel, you know, even though, energy is you, I usually try to have it transfer and leave me. But if I feel anything gets stuck, then I immediately try to work that out, whether it's just a quick stretch or whether it's a quick, um, self massage technique that I do or dunking my hands in ice or just something, sometimes creating a little bit of chaos in the system to kind of get that energy dispersed. Or if you just move, you know, when you go run for two minutes and it just, you clear your head, you're releasing a lot of the pressure that's built up, um, in your nervous system. So um, you know, let's see, is it something specific? Um, go too far out, but sometimes it might be something more energetic with crystals or with clearing with sage or something like that for me. Um, but it also might just be stretching or, um, playing the solfeggio frequencies that I, and just kind of trying to clear my mind with a meditation or, um, shaking it, just physically shaking it off my body and picturing whatever I feel, just leaving my body. And I do that in the shower. That's one thing I tell people that isn't too weird, but a lot of people are like, Oh, now I actually think about that when I'm in a shower at the end of a long day, I just visualize all this stuff I've taken on or that I feel stuck and heavy to me, just washing down the drain. And then I just leave it there and I move on. Um, so sometimes visualization is a big thing for people or for me. And sometimes it's a physical, like, I'm pressing on this trigger point that I know is going to release this pressure in my head and I move on. Um, or I go do something good for my body, like eating something that I know is going to make me feel better than even if I feel exhausted after two hour massage and I'd rather just eat some fast food or something real quick. I know if I go get a really rejuvenating smoothie that that will, you know, nourish my body. And I don't know. You do know, so let's not end every response with "I don't know" or "Is that good?" Uh, yes, yes, yeah. this is all this is all helpful, and, and we appreciate it. Were you about to go ahead and follow up with some, James? Yeah, I mean, I, I I wanted to just you broke things down into well, first you told us that you didn't know, but then you broke things down aggressively into two areas. And if I'm hearing you correctly, one is more abstract. One requires people to have gone deeper in their own mind to understand crystal sage, understand uh, mental health. But then the other sounds to me like acute hormetic stressors to flush it out of the body. I mean, would you say that that's, that's on? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that 
the cold therapy, hot therapy, whatever, but something to, to disrupt the homeostasis or what you would do if you were trying to disrupt homeostasis then is maybe a way to transfer that out physically. If you're not willing to open your mind and go the other directions and go more abstract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you, anytime, if you feel stuck staying and doing the same thing you were doing is not going to help you. So um, whether that's, you want to deal with that mentally or physically um, any change in what you were just doing to feel a certain way that you want to now not feel that way um, is going to help in some capacity, even if it's two minutes, I think, um, especially if it has to, most things, if it's some kind of dysregulation of the nervous system, if you are changing that physiologically, it's going to help even if it's for 10 minutes. Um, okay. I think people can do something with that. Um, and even the way that you phrased it, you know, James put it, the, the acute hermetic stresses, but when you made the point about introducing some chaos, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, do you know of, you have to, a system that's kind of already, uh, use the word stagnant, you know, but if somebody has something that's stuck, a stuck feeling, a stuck energy, then how can you almost not scare it out of your system, but either make it so that it literally gets used up as energy. And so boom, now you've expelled it by actually utilizing it, leveraging it, uh, or just otherwise trying to purge it out through some sort of means. Um, I think that's, that's good to keep in mind because sometimes I think for some, I just speak personally, there've been times where the idea is, okay, all you need to do is rest, you know, just rest and that'll do enough. Uh, and I mean, sure, sometimes resting may, may help a bit, but that's a, a much different approach than actively going out of your way to, to force yourself to feel weird or uncomfortable or, you know, go run for two minutes, like you said. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I think that's uh, some good takeaways, actionable stuff about that. I'm curious. I think it's called, um, just like the technicality. I think it's called like systems theory. So like with anything in life to like really create a change, you have to create, like introduce some amount of chaos, which I've like, I just think that's, that's cool. systems theory. I think of something like you're not going to change if you don't, the more chaos that you might introduce in your life in any capacity, like is going to allow you to actually make a more substantial change than if things are just kind of, like you said, stagnant. Mm. Order out of chaos. I forget the Latin right now. I wanted to be clever. I, I couldn't think of it. It's like, or out, chow, something like that. But uh, order out of chaos. Yes, yes, yes. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. With the clients that you see, how often do they seem to be aware that the issue that they're dealing with is likely a emotionally based, socially based, energetically based ailment or discomfort, dis-ease rather than, oh, you know, my, my quad is tight because of acid or constriction of the fiber, you know, would you say that most of them are aware that it's, it's a, di- a deeper issue, that some of them are aware, that most of them are unaware? How would you categorize that? Um, I think I love when, I, when people are aware because then I can really, you know, talk about that stuff more and not have to, you know, I mean, anyways, so I guess most people probably not, but I think even people who are aware that, you know, pain can be more than physical, it can be a harder step to go from 
knowing that about other things and then really seeing their own pain as something more than, you know, I think what I mentioned in one of your other episodes that really was resonated with me because so many clients will come in and it's, Oh, like this exercise caused all this pain or this, I sneezed and now my back is, you know, I need to go get surgery or just crazy <laughs> stuff or like the, the amount of times it's been blamed on a pillow or a chair or like, you know, it's like, okay, so your 20 years of migraines is because of your pillow, you know, okay, got it. You know? So, but you know, you obviously meet everyone where they're at and there you can't, you don't want to, I don't ever invalidate the physical aspect of pain or that other things can be contributing to it. But you know, if it really was as simple as a pillow or a chair, then shifting that quickly should completely eliminate it. Correct. And usually it's, it's something they're treating in multiple ways and they're not getting any, um, you know, anything more than temporary results for. Um, and so that's where depending on the person, whether it's a physical thing I do or something I say, um, I usually try to always challenge or nudge in that direction, but never, if I'm getting some intuition that, you know, the reason their hand is numb is, is related to something stuck in their heart and something that they've told me, but I'm not going to just outright ever say that because, you know, it might, well, I might not think it's carpal tunnel if they've gone to three or four practitioners for carpal tunnel and it's still, their hand's still numb. Um, you know, so yeah, I think overall because of a lot of things in history and the way that things have evolved in separating the mind and body, while there is a lot of people that are willing to dive into the mind-body practices that have been around since the beginning of time, um, I think we just don't, I mean, I do, but most people don't immediately think of, oh, how is this pain related to something in my life or something that I have unresolved or some emotion or something other than, oh, I think I tweaked it when I was running or I was sitting too long or things like that. So, um, yeah. I definitely desire to have that be more prevalent. And I get really excited when people do take the responsibility or just the curiosity of their body that things are multidimensional and that, you know, when I do these things, just noticing, like when I do these things, it's better. When I do these things, it's worse. And then sometimes just having that dialogue um, and picking up on a lot of different information about their life and their daily routine physically and not. Um, then I can kind of weave into a conversation, you know, even if it's give, usually it's giving examples of other clients that then will, you know, have someone maybe think about their own in a way that doesn't feel like they're being attacked or asked about their stress or their, you know, that kind of stuff where it's like, Oh no, I mean, of course I'm stressed, but you know, not seeing stress as emotion in the first place. But, um, mm. but yeah, I guess, um, it's, it's typically primarily physical, um, just as most of our medical system, um, describes pain and because it's the easiest way and people do respond well to having some kind of medical, physical diagnostic explanation for what they're dealing with that's outside of themselves first. And then you can kind of, you know, especially if you're doing a lot of physical treatments that are only resolving things temporarily, that's when I'm going to be a little bit more, um, you know, motivated to go into the next step because I want, like, I feel like it's almost bad medicine. I think every practitioner should be a holistic, should be considered holistic practitioner because that just means that you're 
um, incorporating the mind and the body. So when you separate those or you deny that one cannot cause a physiological change, you're really kind of practicing bad medicine, in my opinion. So um, if I know these things and I'm aware of them over time and I'm not addressing them, then I don't feel like I'm treating someone to the best of my ability. That makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. You mentioned that giving an example of another client's journey or some, you know, relationship between some sort of non-physical catalyst and what they are currently physically dealing with, that that can sometimes bring that awareness to people that, oh, okay, maybe there's an underlying cause behind what it is that I'm feeling. Is there anything else that can ever help to, to bring that to light to somebody? Uh, or, and this is my guess, that that kind of has to be a, a more spontaneous process um, that eventually, whether it be another experience that they've had or research they're doing or reflection, but that it kind of clicks at some point. Uh, but have you noticed that anything more, more consistently helps in bringing that realization to these clients? And then further with that, people who come in and maybe don't have that realization after they've gotten work, do you ever notice that at that point that they start to have a better connection and relationship between the non-physical and the physical components of what it is that they're dealing with just from kind of having their system interrupted? Because I, I want us to get into this, but the way in which you practice you know, physical therapy, uh, massage therapy is a little bit different than what a lot of people might think massage therapy is when they think of like, you know, um, massage envy or something like that. So your thoughts on, on that? I know I just asked you a lot in one go, but. No, no, that's really good. Um, so, and also with the examples of other clients, another thing that sometimes really helps as far as a vulnerability standpoint is giving an example of myself. Um, if I feel comfortable doing that, because then even just from a cellular standpoint, their body can trust me more and it can receive the, the treatment better. Um, and so if with the hand example, that's one, sometimes I even just act a little, you know, you know, the Chinese ancient Chinese medicine says that the, you know, hands are an extension of the heart. You know, nothing is, I take everything with a grain of salt, but even for me, it was crazy. You know, when I used to have hand pain every single day from doing massage, cause I would take everything on in my hands and, have to ice and all this stuff. And, but the second I moved out of my parents' house, which is a whole thing, um, my hands, I have not iced my hands. I mean, hardly at all. Like they don't hurt every day. Like they used to. And me knowing that that was so much, so related to emotions on top of the other physical way that I was using my hands differently than I do now. Um, you know, obviously it's easier to really see that looking back on things, but someone might be like, Oh, interesting. And then you just kind of go that way. But other people really respond. If they're very intellectual, then I'll go the route of, you know, the educational, if they really want to know, you know, if they want to be quiet and I'm sending that information non-verbally, then they might receive it that way. But other people really, you know, to get to that next step, they would prefer to really have the education. And that's another way of trusting me as far as they're not just going to a spa and getting massaged and leaving. They're, you know, asking, they're seeing it as medical massage. They're seeing it as, you know, a treatment they're going to do more than once, not just a birthday massage gift card they do once a year. And, um, you know, they 
trust their body will then trust me more if they know, you know, maybe for, to them, it's important that I have other degrees and that I'm educated and I'm, you know, um, I go do conferences and research and all this other stuff to them. That might be what they need to hear to then accept the work versus if I said any, the word energy once they might shut down because they think that sounds too woo woo or whatever. Um, so no, what was the other part of your question? Is if you ever notice that people become more receptive after you've worked on them, particularly if they've not gotten that kind of work before, or if it was just, you know, like you said, the nonverbal communication of just the, the touch uh, in your yeah. work. Uh-huh. Yeah, lots of instances, I think just the work speaks for itself. So sometimes I might not be, depending if it's someone's too talkative, I might eventually try to have us both quiet down so that we can focus on what the session's really about. And, um, you know, for example, few times in the last few months um I wasn't ever trained in vertigo stuff but it just I had a few clients that came to me with vertigo thinking oh, I don't know that massage can do anything for this um and me just knowing you know what I have studied about anatomy and certain cranial work and the psoas and a lot of other things I kind of just decided okay I think I'm feeling that this vertigo is coming from the psoas which is in the abdomen and that's usually something that most people nowadays know a lot more about being the back pain with, which seems kind of weird, but um, the stomach is where all the emotions are processed. So the psoas holds a lot. It's one of the most emotional muscles in the body. And so two clients that I was treating with vertigo ended up resolving it from the psoas and then also cranial work. Um, and they had been to 20 different doctors and for 10 years and didn't think I could do anything about vertigo, but they just mentioned it in their intake. Um, if there was anything I can do. Um, and really just taking that pressure out of the nervous system and kind of educating that way, but also maybe throwing in a mention of the emotional part of the psoas and the nervous system with vertigo, how that can create the symptoms. And then, you know, me just doing my best work and seeing how they receive it. And then, you know, after the fact, them coming back and saying, I have had zero vertigo for the first time in 10 years. Like, um, you know, I don't know what you did, but I don't have vertigo anymore. And that was that. And so I think sometimes it's just, you know, whatever the proof is in the pudding type of thing. Um, so yeah. And then other times it might be the work is received a certain way that day, but when they notice that it's different, um, or, or sometimes it will bring up what's called a healing crisis. So sometimes that whole, you get worse before you get better. And if you're really um, you know, if ever anyone ever would say, oh, you're putting me in a little bit of pain, it's kind of, we try to restate it as, well, we're exposing pain that's already there. Um, it's just been so repressed and not, you know, we do all these things to try to not feel our pain, but the cure for pain is usually in the pain. So um, by bringing that up and kind of making yourself aware that some, most people, most sessions are like, wow, I didn't realize that hurt that bad, or wow, I really didn't realize this was that tight. Um, but then, you know, uh, I don't know, sometimes people thinking that, oh, my gosh, like if this does bring up a pain in a way that's not forceful, but they think they're going to be so sore or that it won't be better. But then by working through that pain after they're it's not there anymore, they're shocked because they haven't been treated quite in that way before. So, again, I guess it's just. Some people, it's what I say, some people, it's just the results of the treatment that um, can change their mind maybe in one session sometimes. And sometimes it's 
it takes more, but, um, what can, um, I mean, pulling on that, what can individuals do outside of getting work done? Like what kind of homework would you give maybe pre-session, post-session? What is that? How can people come to you more open mentally and physically to everything that can go on to get the full healing, not 20% of it, not 40% of it, you know, cause you know, we're really resistant. People got white coats on, we're in, we're in offices, <laughs> everyone's head starts running, right? Like, Oh, what's happening? What would you say to, to people that want to take advantage of, of everything that is what your practice has to bring in those sessions, maybe mentally and physically, what can they do? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so typically, I mean, it depends on the session, but most people, I will at least give two to three things at the end of session, whether I am confident that they will do them or not. I just always leave them with things to do at home because again, even if I'm not directly stating it, it is just kind of a, you are responsible for your healing as much as I am in treating you. Um, and, and the more that you do at home, the less that you would need to come in or the less that the quicker that you're going to get to the results that you want. So a lot of times it is the things that I talk about are a lot more physical than emotional, unless someone's open to that, um, which I just kind of gauge by the person. Um, but usually I will show them depending on the severity of what they came in for and how many things we worked on. Um, I'll usually show them. And usually if I feel like they don't do stretching or anything like that at home, I'll have them do it really quickly just to make sure they know that they're doing it properly. So whether it's, and then just also telling them that they don't need to do 15 reps of this every single day, but particularly with stretching, um, kind of reframing how they think of it, especially if they really hate doing it. Um, I would like, look, I, I would rather you do one stretch and hold it for five minutes and really feel what you felt in the session of like breaking through each layer and releasing it on a deeper level than just trying to stretch 20 times. And, you know, so that, I guess, and then, um, the hot and cold therapy type of thing. Um, sometimes exercise stuff. Um, other times it, if I feel like it's so, it was just so much, you know, we don't need to work on the physical stuff right now, but you, you just got to figure out what for you, you can do to eliminate the stress or lower it each day. Um, so obviously I can't tell you what's going to work best for you. Here's some examples of ways that work for me, ways that work for other people, but um, ultimately you finding something that you know, you're actually going to do and that you enjoy. And that is easy. Even if it's a few minutes each day, slowly over time, that's going to make a huge difference. Or if it's like I said, the visualization thing earlier, some people really, really pick up on the visualizing the thing in the shower or, or um, let's see what else. Um, and sometimes I'll show people self massage techniques or if they have foam rollers or massage guns or body scrapers or all that kind of stuff might mention how they can use those as um, you know, when they feel something come up just to treat it themselves. Um, and then other people, if they really are interested in wanting to do that self healing, then I'll go into, you know, more, meditative, um, journaling or, you know, really just exploring a few different multiple things to see what works for them that they would actually do instead of, you know, getting a packet from the PT of 50 exercises and stretches that, you know, you should be doing. And unless someone's holding you accountable, going in three times a week to do it, you're probably not going to do it. Um, 
so yeah, I would say that's the most common. Um, and then I'll usually just, if there's a little tip or trick about the specific muscle I was working on or things that were, that I know that will stick or people are like, Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of that. That will is usually the stuff that I might just throw in because it, it sticks with someone or some people come in and I'm just like really interested in, um, you know, hearing that kind of stuff for me and, and all the things that they can do at home because they don't want to have to come in that much. And I appreciate knowing that those are the people that are really going to take uh, the responsibility themselves to do as much as they can. Um, and then if I feel like they're doing a hundred different things and they're still coming in with pain, then that's when I would be more like, okay, maybe we just need to stop focusing so much on like how you can completely eliminate this physical pain and realize what else, what other route could be contributing to it. And that might seem weird or whatever, but let's just, just see. You know. um, or I might um, ask questions about what in their life may be different or changing or this just kind of pry there to then have a conversation um, and leave them with that. So that answered it. I think it answered it. James? I would say so. I would say so. So if I can pivot us here for a brief second, when I met you, you were primarily practicing trigger point therapy. Is that correct? Yes, I was such obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could for a second describe the what trigger point therapy is, and then I want us to jump into my fascial release therapy. Uh, if you could describe what that is so we can explore a bit for people who may have never heard of it. If you could help them wrap their heads around what those two styles of massage therapy are, their benefits, and how a person can maybe figure out which one is for them, uh, and then maybe some background on why you, you pivoted towards and primarily practice myofascial therapy now. Um, yeah, so I think for me, just for the injuries that I went through and all the different doctors and therapies that I tried to relieve my back pain, um, trigger point, in which for me, dry needling was something I was really into, um, treating in, in treating trigger points for, in particular, uh, was just one of the most drastic pain relievers that I had experienced. Um, and trigger points fall under neuromuscular therapy, which is kind of what I first specialized in. And I still do a lot of that. I just kind of mix a lot of different modalities, the more that I learn, but, um, and that trigger point, I guess is technically just most people will know the term of just knots, which is adhesions, which is just a tight ball of fascia or connective tissue that does not refer pain. It's just typically easy to eliminate and you move on and it doesn't come back until you get tight again. And it's just a ball of tissue, but a trigger point is kind of like a hyper irritable spot within that muscle tissue that refers pain somewhere else in the body. So, um, it's, different than, I guess, acupressure and points, but all of it is related. Everything's connected in a way of trigger point being a little bit more of a mainstream medically accepted uh, explanation for how one point somewhere can be pressed and relieve pain somewhere else in the body um, and kind of really inform you as to what things are connected with your issue. So um, for me, I was with my back stuff. Um, I was blown away to see that even the needling or trigger point stuff I got done in my stomach or my calves 
or then no one touched my back, but my back would be completely better afterwards. And I used to try to uh, prove this to my dad. I would say, oh, let me just work on your hamstrings for an hour. I'm not going to touch your back. And let me see if your back is better. Because I just felt like, oh, his hamstrings were so tight. And that was what was pulling on the back. And so just kind of, um, but also with trigger point stuff, people with headaches or um, all types of things, it's a very palpable and not always pleasant way to feel, wow, you're pressing on that, but I, why do I feel it in my head? Or, you know, and then that can kind of really open someone up quickly if they haven't already acknowledged that, you know, everything in the body is connected and where you feel the pain might not probably isn't where you should be. We should necessarily be treating, um, immediately, or I think what we used to say was find the pain and look elsewhere for the cause. But, um, so that kind of went along with the trigger point stuff. Um, so I worked on a lot of athletes and I did very, very deep tissue work almost, you know, there's a fine line with deep tissue, but you don't ever want to go too deep to one where you can bruise people or where you kind of shut the nervous system down and almost prevent the healing, um, or the whole, I guess there's two kind of paradigms of the way that people think of pain as far as one end of the spectrum is so much, uh, let's mask the pain. Let's give it something to cover it up and not feel it. And the other way is kind of no pain, no gain. And just, you know, hardcore that way, like rolfing and all that, which I was very into. Um, but finding the balance between, well, maybe not this side, but finding the balance with that, I think is important because sometimes, um, you know, just inflicting so much pain into, to try to get rid of the pain is only going to be only going to really part of the problem. Um, so anyways, so trigger point that explains it just basically, uh, the difference of a knot and a trigger point is just that the trigger point is going to be somewhere that it refers pain elsewhere in the body. So if I am on a spot and I feel what I know as a trigger point, it feels, oh my gosh, this is a trigger point, not just a knot, but I will always ask like, you know, do you feel this referring somewhere? And it's, there's many different patterns. I think it was JFK's physician that originally came up with the referral charts of the most common, you know, trigger points that referred to these areas. Um, but sometimes I've had people where I press in their knee and they feel in their elbow. I'm like, Whoa, I've heard that one. So, um, they're very unpredictable, but I, I just was a believer that you know, if you have trigger points and you can resolve them, then, you know, that was just pivotal in relieving pain, um, for people. But then I guess, uh, let's see, I guess my fascial work was kind of what actually got me into it in the first place, but I didn't go as deep into it as I have in the last year. So my fascial work, or it's Technically, my fascia, I just say fascia, whatever, same difference. Uh, fascia, fascia is the connective tissue. So that is what connects everything in the body. It surrounds all the organs, blood vessels, muscles, nerves. And um, it's kind of a continuous 3D web throughout your whole body. I don't remember this video, but it kind of just was a very good explanation of if someone has like a bodysuit and you are to twist up one area here, it's not on the shoulder and of the fabric. And, you know, it's not just causing tension here. You're going to start to feel it pull on this area. And then if you twist down here by the hip, you're going to feel it pull from just a good explanation that everything is surrounded by this fascia and CT scans, MRIs, the imaging systems that we use don't pick up on it. So a lot of belief in this community is that 
one, there is not necessarily such thing as disease in a way, but that most pain or tension issues are rooted in some kind of fascia restriction. Um, and that they've been able to scientifically prove a lot of it, but also, you know, when you get into consciousness and emotions flowing through the tissue, that can be a little difficult in a measurement um, standpoint. But um, so fascia is when, so when you stretch, are you, oh, this is the, how I used to explain it um, on a chicken, the like white film skin, you know, I would explain to someone if I was going to do my fascial release first, which is no lotion. Typically you don't use any lotion because you have to get that grip of the fascia, um, which is what you feel when you stretch in yoga or something, when you feel that burn and then the, when you hold it and you feel it release, that's, you're kind of breaking through the fascia to then get deeper into the muscle tissue. Um, so I used to kind of just explain it as that skin on the chicken and that I would need to break that open first to then have a more effective deep tissue work um, because you can't really get that when you're gliding with lotion. Um, and so it can be uncomfortable, but it just depends if you're forcing it or not. And so the stuff that I learned this year was a little bit more gentle and sustained pressure. Um, and it got a lot more into the consciousness stuff. But overall, I think that treating an individual with multiple modalities is usually the most effective um, for me, like especially as I've gotten into some lymphatic stuff in the last year too, two, um, which is a whole nother subset. Um, but that has been very glamorized and I do now have to educate people a lot more on how lymphatic is not I'm not going to suck the fat out of you or just at this clinic that I work at, it's all metabolic wellness and people, you know, have heard this lymphatic term as just, you know, Oh, you're flushing all the fat and toxins and whatnot. And it's not completely wrong, but um, it's more just the system that you're working on. So why I think my fascial release is one of the best is because I think that taking that pressure out of, the fascia that can be up to 2000, squat, 2000 pounds of pressure per square inch of tissue on a nerve or something can relieve any system of the body. Um, whereas, but it just depends on the person. So, cause if someone is truly has a bunch of edema or swelling, you're not going to do deep tissue to relieve that. You're going to do much lighter lymphatic drainage to drain that tissue. So then that system of the body can work more properly. If that makes sense. Um, but I think that was a beautiful explanation because uh, initially when I was hearing about the differences, I was a bit confused. Um, so hopefully I, I think a lot of people will be able to uh, wrap their head around that and have an idea. And maybe if you, anybody listening to this is someone who gets massages with some degree of frequency, they can now seek out and try something different than you know, Swedish shiatsu, you know, or any of these kind of relaxation massages. Uh, and I think that, at least from my standpoint, I didn't really realize just how much therapeutic work there was or there could be within massage therapy. Because growing up, all I ever really knew of was you either get one of these relaxation massages or some deep tissue massage, you know, the joker like a chick named Holga or Helga or something, you know, like just <laughs> going hard. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to learn about these different subcategories and these niches 
that really do kind of add a whole nother dimension to the work that you do. And I know that quite some time, whenever I would introduce you or speak about you to other people, I would always kind of preface it with like, oh, what kind of work she Oh, she's a physical therapist, basically, you know, uh, to try to emphasize. And I don't know if that's derogatory from a licensed massage therapist standpoint, you know, like, no, 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 I'm a massage therapist, not a PT. But um, I just feel like most people, it's easier for them to wrap their head around the therapeutic benefit that is possible with the work if they look at it from that slightly different lens uh, than what they probably are used to associating with massage therapy. And I think people ask me about all types of other, outside of massage, what I think about that all the time. And I've definitely gotten better at it because I think because overall I felt maybe massage therapists got a bad rap for what we can do. And not that there aren't plenty of, you know, definitely can get a bad massage, you know, like, oh, like massage is just a massage. But, um, and I originally was going to school for PT and I worked with the Falcons PT in high school and that was what I thought I wanted to do. So I did come from that background of, you know, really being interested in the research side of it in the medical side, more than some people who, do come into school just wanting to go work at a spa or want to just do mud wraps or sweet. And those all have their benefit um, for many different reasons. But, um, but yeah, I was, I also didn't even know, even through massage school, how vast this field really is and how it can be applied to OTPT, just people working together more than like my therapy is superior or like, the only limiting factor I really see in a lot of other therapies is just what we would call like cookbook therapy. As far as this, okay, if you have thoracic outlet, this is the rest, this is how you treat them. And that's the only way. And if it doesn't work, then you, you know, send them to surgery or just, you know, that kind of like not as much of an open-mindedness or um, curiosity in, you know, treating what we say diagnoses, which is really just labeling symptoms, not the problem necessarily, but um, but we, at my, my fascial release seminars earlier this year, which we got into unwinding stuff, which is a whole nother, that's probably the most fascinating thing that I do. It's hard to explain with words, but it's, it's a lot of trauma work. Um, but there was PTs and nurses and other people than just massage therapists that do dive into this work. It's much more rare and not as mainstream, but, um, I think it's beautiful when, um, you know, all of these different practitioners, especially in certain clinics, can all work together and kind of bounce off of each other. Or, um, and that's something I see in the future as just some huge place where all different kinds of practitioners can not be so separate. And so, oh, I only go to the chiropractor for my back, or the, you know, I only trust a PT because they have a doctorate, or I only want to go to the orthopedic surgeon. Um, you know, or if I go to do acupuncture, then I'm conflicting with what this person's saying. And, um, and I think some people get overwhelmed when they do go see so many different people that all have such a different perspective on one thing. And sometimes it's just a different way of explaining the same thing. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's, I think all of them have great validity. And I think all practitioners have such a wide range of how they do the same thing. And um, it can be hard to find a really good massage therapist. I mean, I've been to probably over a hundred massage therapists and there's only a few that I truly want to work on me or that can 
resonate with what I have going on to, to get me to where I need to be. Um, and yeah. Um, but I think it's also interesting how much overlap there is more now, like where I can go to a PT and they'll cut me, which is, I mean, literally been around since the beginning of time. Um, but they'll just do some cupping or massage therapist or OT will do some cupping or, um, you know, I wish that I was able to do dry needling. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of controversy, but there's also plenty of people that are working together to really just treat people, um, give them the best treatment that they, that they can. And if they can't do what someone needs. So for instance, with lymphatic stuff, if I, if someone's coming to me and they're only concerned about the cellulite on their legs, which, you know, I can definitely work on. Um, but if at some point I feel like they really want aesthetic work and that's not what I specialize in, then I have a great friend who does, who has machines and does other stuff to really focus on, okay, we're, we're truly just focused on fat loss and cellulite and, you know, the lymphatic system in that way. Whereas, you know, I know that I can't give them the best treatment because that's not what I'm, you know, specialized in. Um, but yeah. Sounds like, sounds like you agree that a holistic approach to the body should be, should be taken. Uh, what's one place that you think massage therapists should sit down and yield to another, another profession, maybe the OT, the PT, the orthopedic surgeon. Um, and then just the same flip that on its head. Where's somewhere that everyone else should sit down and let y'all do the work? Hmm, really good question. Um, so there are a lot of contraindications for certain treatments. And I think, again, just the less that pe certain massage therapists keep up on research. And we do have to obviously do continuing education, but there's a wide range of how people go about that. Um, and so I think probably... Well, there, unless someone's been trained in like osseous integration, which is where you, you know, with your hands can do stuff with bones, um, if you're trained in it as a massage therapist, if someone doesn't have any issues with tissue muscle kind of stuff, and it really is, you know, but, um, maybe something where even if I think massage can al almost always be added as an adjunct treatment to most things. Um, but if someone, especially if someone has some kind of circulatory issue or, you know, if you're not properly trained in helping drain tumors or something like that, then you should probably, um, even if you're working alongside of someone else, always, um, uh, default to, you know, giving them the recommendation to see this type of practitioner for a more, um, diagnostic, just look at whatever it is. Um, whether it's, I can't sit here and measure your blood pressure or, um, yeah, <laughs> great. Um, but I definitely think some people, sometimes it's just the way that you speak in a way of like, thinking that you can heal everything and sometimes you really can't and someone needs to go to the hospital for this or they need to go on this medication and resolve this issue before they can then work with you on something else. Um, and then all the other way, I guess, one thing that I'm super fascinated in more recently is all the cranial work. And I think, um, well, 
also I I've seen a lot of people that have helped people prevent surgeries and I think um a lot of orthopedic surgeons or um sometimes PTs may and it's not that some of them haven't don't believe in massage therapy or have seen good practitioners, but they also know that it's difficult to find, you know, someone that's really going to be competent and worth someone's time, especially if it's not covered by insurance and things like that. Um, so I guess maybe would be something along the lines of, you know, if someone is not in dire need of surgery right this minute, and it's something that they're, they would prefer to not have surgery, then they could, rec they could more frequently recommend massage and P PT. I guess they do. Um, as let's see if if you have six months of this treatment first and can try to prevent the surgery then we'll do that first before we just go ahead and do some procedure um or the cranial stuff with like traumatic brain injury or even migraines or just all types of things that cranial work is not quite as mainstream but can i mean i've just seen an amazing results from clearing the pressure in the lymphatics of the brain um, on the entire body. If someone can't handle, you know, maybe they're contraindicated for me to work on their body, but I could just work on their head for 30 minutes or their feet. And, um, that can really regulate things that may not need thousands of dollars of an MRI or some other scan. That's not gonna, like I said, pick up on this fascia stuff. Um, so if you were to put that in, in one box, would, would it be safe to say that you're saying that maybe the aversion of iatrogenics, maybe the um the looking at things that are less invasive first is where <clears throat> you would like to see maybe a change in medicine holistically to yield a little bit more to massage therapy and other less invasive procedures first yeah definitely because i think i also just think people aren't sometimes given the proper education either way on you know i just it would make me so happy if like someone were just able to get a bigger scope of like, even if this world I'm talking about of all these practitioners working together, if someone could have in front of them, okay, these are the three best treatments you could have for this issue. This one has these 15 side effects. If you want to do that, great. Just know that these are the side effects that could happen. Um, if you do this surgery, you know, it might, it'll cost this and it, it might not resolve this and it might take after the surgery, another six months of this therapy to then, you know, with scar tissue and all these other things to get back to where you're mobile. Um, or it might take an extra six months of this, no, pretty much no side effect therapy and maybe not insurance, but, you know, just kind of giving people a full rundown of every option. I just don't think that really exists much. Um, and I will sometimes, if I do know something on a specific New procedure or something that someone's asking me about, I will try my best to say, you know, from my experience or from what I've seen with other people, you know, if you want to go this route, this is probably how much it's going to cost, how much time and effort on your part. Or if you just really, do, you're, you don't want to do that and you want to have someone else try to fix it for you. You don't care what it costs. You don't care if it causes other issues and you really, really believe in the surgery, like go do that. Because if you don't believe that this treatment can help you, it's probably not going to help you to the extent that it might, if you really you know, were invested in trying another um, 
alternative that was less invasive or less, you know, prone to side effects or causing other issues down the road, or really, like I said, maybe more masking the pain in the short term, like a cortisone shot or, um, yeah, that's a, that's a frequent one I get. Um, but yeah, so. Cool. Excellent. Well, I think we definitely dove into a lot here today and we didn't even talk about unwinding, <laughs> which is, uh, which is great. Now, do you want to take a moment and, and speak about unwinding as, as we close this out? Cause I do agree. I think that's one of the wilder parts of, of myofascial release therapy in particular. Uh, not that you have to go through that to, to experience the unwinding, but uh, yeah, if you could just, just, you know, we'll, we'll kind of broach this topic and, and we'll close out here. But if you could describe a little bit of unwinding to people, uh, just for those who may have no idea what it is. Okay. Yeah, this is a tough one to put into words, but it's something like that I think is so crucial to for people who really want to completely heal something uh, on all angles is just necessary. Um, so I guess the simplest verbal explanation I have of unwinding, it's something I think you can't really understand if you've never experienced it, just like a lot of things like mental health and all these other things. But unwinding really is the body's way of self-correcting through the subconscious. So usually that's from a traumatic event. I know trauma is such a triggering word and it can, um, you know, mean a lot more simple things than some people might perceive it to be like stress is a traumatic thing, you know, to our bodies, to our cells. Um, but unwinding is the process of releasing that trauma physically and on other levels, but, um, it is something that you cannot go into if you're in your left brain, only analytic, analytically, intellectually, intellectually thinking about how you resolve something. You truly have to go into your right intuitive brain and completely let go um, to experience it. And um, there's lots of little examples, I guess, though, that kind of explain it in a way. I the Number one thing that I think of is when you're asleep, we've all had it when you're sleeping or you're dreaming and you, you know, think you tripped on a sidewalk and you your body just suddenly like, uh, spazzes out and then you wake up. Um, basically whatever, when a traumatic event happens to our body, um, there's a pattern in which the cells are organized or become distorted. And the way in which that, um, reverses itself, the body has a natural healing mechanism to self-correct all the time. It's always self-correcting on in a lot of different ways. Um, and so in order to fully release something traumatic that's happened to the body, you almost have to subconsciously go back into the experience and the way that it's released is the exact same way that it was, that it came. Um, and so I've seen, uh, obviously at my seminars, it's all some crazy, stuff of people to say they were in a car accident. You, you may have heard of how people you know, leave their body and that's kind of a pr protective mechanism of the spirit to leave your body, even though it's going through a very painful traumatic experience. But part of 
what left your body does not come back in to resolve until you almost go back into that pain. And so, but, um, so there's different ways through this body work, especially cranial work. That's like the most, um, visceral way that I've most commonly see unwinding in a lot of sessions, even if it's just small little twitches or releases, it might not be some verbal, physical spazzing out on the table. And then you've released this trauma out of your body. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think we've all probably had different experiences where, um, something is built up so much in our body, um, emotionally stressful, trauma, whatever, um, that at some point it just boils over and it comes out in whatever way that might be yelling at your partner, but then suddenly you have all this relief because you got it out of your body or, um, you know, you push yourself crazy in a workout, or like I said, you might have this super violent dream and you, you end up on the floor, but then you, you feel better. Um, um, do you have a way of like of when you experience it? Save on that might do it more justice. No, no, no. Than I, I mean, think the points you're saying it can happen. It can look so many different ways, and I've only experienced it my own way. But I remember the first session I had with you, when you were still doing the trigger point stuff, I hadn't had that many massages, but I was kind of just experiencing these localized convulsions the whole time, um, and. I, I, I'm just sitting here like, uh, is this supposed to be going on? Is this supposed to be happening? Um, but, but I think that, that that's often what it feels like to me is just like a localized convulsion of something just literally almost feels like, you know, to the point you made of if there's a pattern that, that, that takes place when there is this trauma, that convulsion is your body trying to, um, in, in a way, in a non-voluntary way, walk that backwards. So if you drove straight for three paces, took a left, two paces, took a right one pace, your body then tries to work that line backwards almost. And uh, that's what it feels like in my body at times of it just kind of cycling through and trying to catch the right hook or, you know, get itself back on track. Uh, if it was a derailed car and that that's kind of what that convulsion is, is all right, oh, no, no, we missed it. Oh, we're almost there. Oh, we're almost there. And that's what it feels like, but I do think obviously it's it's a thing that needs to be felt, and you can watch somebody else do it. But I haven't ever really had any verbal um, unwindings. It's usually physically, and it's in certain parts of my body uh, that I think are still trying to actually go through the release. So when I was hearing about some of the things you described, witnessing at the at the seminar you went to the range can be very, very wide, you know, from things that feel just like small spasms or involuntary physical motions to things where people are literally crying out, screaming, you know, almost when you go to a church that's super religious, you know, and, and people are catching the Holy Ghost and falling out like they're unwinding, you know, they're having like this very visceral, powerful, spiritual, energetic experience you know, regardless of whatever that religion is, that feeling that they have is a real thing and, and it's flowing through their bodies and it, it, it can look really wild. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a good way to put it. <laughs> so, well, James, is there anything else you'd like to broach with Haley before we slide on out of here? 
to somebody that thinks that massages, even after listening to this, are not something that they should partake in because massages are for massage envy. Uh, if they take nothing that you've said thus far, and not saying that you sh- can't go get one of those kinds, it's a different type, right? Um, what would you say? What words would you would you give? You're, you're at a conference and someone says, I don't know that I believe all this stuff. Um, not trust me. What would you say? As to why they should get massage? Someone is entrusting you with your opinion of a very small explanation of why you should. And they didn't take anything that you just said in the last however long we've been recording. And you had to simplify it down. What would you say to someone that's kind of averse to getting a massage? A, a massage like we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess as far as the mental part, I just really think to some extent, most people can grasp that the things that the mind doesn't deal with or doesn't release the body stores and the, and if the body is not treated, um, therapeutically, um, then, you know, there will, you're only going to probably perpetuate pain and other issues. Um, and that touch as a form of healing is been around longer than anything else. And, um, whether we just experience that from hugging someone or um, being in someone's physical presence. And so I think, you know, obviously to experience it is the most um, important way to be able to believe it. Um, But that compared to any other way that you would treat um, pain or illness, it is, can be one of the most effective, but least invasive and, um, you know, no side effect type of treatment that if you have the proper practitioner is really just coming from a place of love, I guess, in a way. Um, and yeah. That was a great explanation. Don't second guess it. I like it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Haley, this has been wonderful. Uh, I've really enjoyed being able to bring different people on to provide perspective on things that I don't have expertise in and James doesn't have expertise in. And this is certainly one of those areas. So thank you for that. Um, Is there anything that you'd like to leave the people with? Any resources you want to direct them to or something that you think could just uh, help them in their journey as it relates to the conversation we've had today? Um, I mean, I think really the curiosity piece, honestly, of whatever it is you personally are maybe dealing with, even if it's not an active issue, you know, um, prevention is very important. And um, there's so many ways to really get into it now. I think um, whether that's you respond well to just going and trying some new treatment that you've heard of, or you want to try this cryo chamber, this cupping, or go get a massage and treat yourself and not feel bad about it or think it's so luxurious, or, you know, there's so many resources, or if you're interested in the myofascial stuff that I've been talking about, 
Um, the guy that I trained with is named John Barnes. And so he has tons of resources online. Um, I hope to one day do better at having all my resources um, available online somewhere to, to see. But, um, but yeah, there's tons of, tons of books, tons of physical resources or a multitude of practitioners and, um, you know, therapies to try nowadays. I would just encourage people to, you know, do something out of your comfort zone and be curious as to, you know, what else might be at the root of some things that, especially if it's something that's been going on for a long time, um, you know, try something different and see, because if you keep doing the same thing, it's, it's probably not going to get you where you want to be. So. Love it. So for people who, who may be local or in the area, uh, if you want to, how could they schedule a massage session with you? And then uh, what would be your top book recommendation for people who want to learn more about subtle energy and the connection between uh, what you feel physically and the non-physical catalyst? Well, I'm probably only working for another month or so. But Get these folks I... on the wait list. um so i have two different physical offices outside of my home office so i work at the wellstar um off windy hill at a u.s neuropathy center's practice for a surgeon so i'm there and then i also have an office in alpharetta at a metabolic wellness center so those are the two offices that i see clients out of um but most of the if it's not directly through those offices, then it's usually through my personal contact that I book by appointment. Um, and then also, you know, obviously I'm going to be out soon, but I have plenty of other practitioners and mentors that do subsets of my work um, that I can refer people to. And then book recommendations. If if you have anything with back pain, healing back pain is like, ugh, that book is, everyone needs to read. But um, it just really goes into... Uh, oh, not just back pain, actually, it goes into a lot of other things um, and the mental, emotional, but also medical explanation for why that is. So I think it's John Sarno, Healing Back Pain. And then I love that one. Um, I think it's called Emotion and the one that you gave me. Yeah. It's Emotion and Energy in the Emotion and Healing in the Energy Body, yeah. I think. It might be something like that, but uh, let's see. Yeah, there's tons, but those are those are two good starters, I would say. Okay. So yeah, and the, and that one has a lot of. It's really interesting. I love going and seeing when I have a specific like, oh, this part of my shoulder. Like, what could it? What does it mean physically? What does it mean spiritually? Just, just it's just interesting to read, and you might think it's crazy that what it says, but I think it's it's good to again be curious of oh how this part of your childhood may be stored here, or you know, or how maybe it is related to what you exercised yesterday. I don't know, but. Yeah, those are two good ones. So Perfect. That was helpful. Yes, no, very. And that second one is Emotion and Healing in the Energy Body by Robert Henderson, uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. So, great. Well, thank you. Thank you so very much. This has been lovely. We appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point to uh, to take the next leg of this conversation even further. So, thank you. And to everybody out there watching and listen, we appreciate you. We uh Thank you for for tuning in with us. And all of this can be found on YouTube. If you want to watch this and if you want to listen to it, anywhere you would listen to a podcast, you can find this podcast as well. And we drop them at 0900 every Monday morning. So thank you all. And we'll talk to everybody real soon. Peace.
Peace. Thank you. Mm -hmm.